try to look at how Jesus would express his love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness to all your church members, including you. Hey there, I'm James Early, and you're listening to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. This is episode 107. Our topic today, what would Jesus say to your church? You're listening to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I'm James Early, your host, and this is the place to be to rediscover the original Christianity of Jesus. Each week, we talk about how Jesus wanted us to think and act and pray and live our daily lives. And we dig down into the mindset of Jesus to discover how we can think and act like he did. The goal is to experience more of Jesus' promise that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, welcome again to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I am so grateful that you've tuned in to listen today. Our topic this week is a question. What would Jesus say to your church? Last week in episode 106, in my conversation with Marcus Watson, we talked about the challenges facing churches today and how a church can discover its own unique voice in blessing its community. During our conversation, I asked Marcus, what do you think Jesus would say to our churches today? I'll play a clip of his answer. What do you think Jesus would say if he walked into our churches today? What do you think he would say? Uh I mean, it depends on the church, obviously. I think the first thing he would say is, I love you, right? I love you guys. I think the other thing that Jesus would say is, follow me. You know, I love you. Now follow me. Come on, we're going. Here's where we're going. Well, ever since we talked, I've shared Marcus's answer with lots of folks. I've thought about his answer over and over, and I've kept asking the question, what would Jesus say to our churches today? Today's episode is basically about some of the possible answers to that question. Now, from one perspective, I have no idea what Jesus would say to my church or your church or any church. Every church is different. And Jesus often tailored his message to say just what a particular individual needed to hear. And it's reasonable to imagine he would do the same with the many different churches, their needs, their strengths and weaknesses, and the challenges they face. But from another perspective, since we have the mind of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, is it possible to discern the Spirit of what Jesus would say to our churches? I think it is. Jesus' core message never changed. I think that's why Marcus could say in last week's episode that if Jesus walked into your church, he'd say, I love you. Follow me. But I also think it's reasonable to assume he would say to us the things he said to his disciples and the people who followed him. He would tell us, We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
He'd tell us to love God with all our hearts and love our neighbors as ourselves. He would rebuke the self-righteousness of the Pharisees today just as much as he did in his day. He would be patient with us, but he would probably rebuke our lack of faith just as he did with his disciples. But his rebukes would come not in condemnation, as many Christian churches do today. His rebukes would come from the immense depth of love in his heart for us. If Jesus walked into your church, he would open the Bible and teach from the scriptures. And he would open them up in a way that we could see and understand things that we'd never seen before. But most of all, I think Jesus would tell us about the kingdom of heaven, that it is here and that it's within us, and that we need to repent to completely change the way we see and think about God, ourselves, and creation, that we need to turn from a material, earth-based view to a spiritual, heaven-based perspective. I'm going to take some really great liberties to paraphrase some of the things Jesus said almost 2,000 years ago into how he might say things today. Let's start with just a few things from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who have been abused, for my Father is healing their wounds. Blessed are those who have been silenced, for God hears the desires of their heart. Blessed are those who have been taught they are unworthy of my Father's love, for they shall hear the voice of God saying, This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Blessed are you when you get kicked out of your church for following me, for I welcome you into my church. Don't brag about or be impressed with how many people follow you on Twitter or Instagram or like your memes full of what I said 2,000 years ago. Rather, strive for and be grateful when you have helped someone come to know and love my Father in heaven. When you pray, don't start with the problem. Start with the solution. Our Father, His holiness, His kingdom earnestly desire to do his will. Quit telling my father what you want and ask what he wants for you. He already knows what you really need. You can't inform him of something he doesn't already know. Don't be impressed with how many people are coming to your church or think your church is better if it has more people. And don't be concerned if your church is very small. Focus on the kingdom of my Father. Look for it in your members. Yes, all of them, including yourself. Look for it in the community. It's there. You just need to bear witness to it and share it with others. Would you just get over your self-righteousness already? Please. And don't be so judgmental. It's not your job to decide how sinful someone else is. You need to work on yourself first. This applies to each of you individually, but as the whole church, too. Be more compassionate with all those people that you think of as sinners. They need to feel my love for them shining through your heart, through your words and actions. 
your condemnation will not help them know and love me? Those are just a few possibilities of something Jesus might say to our churches. What do you think Jesus would say to people in your church who needed healing? Take a moment and seriously think about this. First, let's talk about what he would not say. He would not tell them that God sent them a challenge to test them to see if they're faithful or to teach them patience. He might rebuke the sickness, as he did with Peter's mother-in-law or the fellow who was possessed with a devil. He might say to someone who had been told that their pain and discomfort were a result of their sins, quit carrying around that bed full of the thorns from man-made dogmas. I have washed away your sins. You are whole and free right now in my Father's kingdom. He might say to someone who has a debilitating disease, Do you have more fear of the disease or more faith in God's love for you and my ability to heal you? Do you really want to be healed? Or he might not say anything. He might just quietly look around your church with compassion. Now, let me say this again. I really don't know what Jesus would say to your church, except that he would only say what God told him to say. And whatever it was, it would be with love and the motive to bless and strengthen everyone there. As a little prayerful exercise, I encourage you to look at some of your favorite things Jesus said and did, and imagine how he would express those same ideas to the members of your church. We usually read Jesus' words and think how they apply to us as individuals, but what if we took his teachings as if he were instructing us as a whole, as a church body? How can we obey him collectively in addition to individually? It's really tempting sometimes to think of how he would condemn all those other people who you think are doing things wrong. I know I fall into that trap sometimes. But try to look at how Jesus would express his love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness to all your church members, including you. The more I've thought about this idea of what would Jesus say to our churches today, the more I've realized he really has already said what every church needs to hear in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail here, but chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation contain what Jesus told John to tell seven churches in Asia. In the Bible, the number seven often represents completeness, and to me, these seven churches are symbolic of the whole of churchdom, the church universal, so to speak. The challenges, the struggles, and the mistakes, the victories and the defeats these seven churches experienced are indicative of what all Christian churches face today. In effect, Jesus is saying to our churches the same thing he revealed to John about those seven churches almost 2,000 years ago. So let's look briefly at some of the important points. And if you want to study this in more detail, you can read chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. 
Jesus instructs John to write letters to the churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. In each letter, Jesus describes one aspect of his nature and glory. Each letter contains Jesus' declaration, I know your works. Each letter has a promise to those who overcome or victorious or conquer the ways of the world. And there's always the call or invitation, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Most of these seven churches are rebuked for allowing various ways of the world to creep into their thinking, their lives, and their approach to worship. But if there's something good in a church, even if it's very small, Jesus notices it and commends it. Here's a brief summary of what Jesus has to say to each of these seven churches. And as you listen, be open to how Christ is speaking to your church today. Does your church face some of the same challenges these churches faced? Are you holding fast to your faith in spite of all the temptations in the world? Is your church caught up in worldly ways to a small or large degree and need to repent? I encourage you to be open to what applies to you and your church and hear what Christ is saying to you today. First is the church in Ephesus. Jesus acknowledges their works, their labor and patience, their intolerance for evil, including the Nicolaitans, their perseverance and endurance of many hardships. They have not grown weary in their toil and their labor. But he rebukes them for forsaking the original love they had. He calls them to repentance and to return to the love and the fruits of that love that they did originally. Next, we'll look at the church in Smyrna. Jesus acknowledges their tribulations and their poverty, but he points out that they are actually rich in spirit. He also knows the slanderous attitude of those who claim to be true believers. He warns of coming persecution but he encourages them to be faithful and promises them a crown of victory. And next is the church in Pergamos. Jesus, again, acknowledges the faithfulness of this church in a hostile, worldly environment. Have you ever felt like your church is in a hostile, worldly environment? Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Jesus, though, rebukes those who are swayed by teachings contrary to Christ, including Balaam's moral laxness in regards to idols and sexual immorality and the Nicolaitans. He calls the church to repentance and warns of the consequences if they continue in their worldly ways. Next is the church of Thyatira. Jesus acknowledges their works, their love, their faith, their service, their perseverance, and the fact that they're doing more now than when their church began. But he rebukes the spirit of Jezebel among their members, which misleads them into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. 
he urges the need for repentance and for those who have not been led astray to hold on to their faith. Now we come to the church in Sardis. Jesus acknowledges their reputation for being alive, but tells them bluntly they are actually dead spiritually. They have started good works and deeds, but haven't brought them to completion. He urges them to wake up, repent, and strengthen the little bit that's left, but is about to die. He does acknowledge that there are a few who are still faithful and promises that these are worthy to walk with him. Now we come to the church in Philadelphia. Jesus acknowledges their good deeds and the fact that they have kept his word and not denied his name. They've been faithful. He promises that those who claim to be believers but are not will be humbled and acknowledge Jesus' love for the faithful ones. He gives them an open door that no one can shut. What a promise. Because they have been so faithful, he will keep them from the trials that are coming in the world. He encourages them to hold on to their faith so no one can take their crown of victory from them. And finally, we come to the church in Laodicea. Jesus acknowledges their works and points out that they are lukewarm in everything they do. He says that being hot or cold would be better than lukewarm. He warns them that he's about to spit them out of his mouth because of their ho-hum attitude. He rebukes their ease and trust in material wealth and points out that they are spiritually bankrupt, pitiful, wretched, blind, and naked. He urges them to acquire true gold, true riches from him refined by fire so that they can be spiritually rich, clothed with righteousness, and see clearly. He points out specifically that he is rebuking them because he loves them and he's encouraging them to repent. One thing that Jesus says to each church, and I mentioned this already, is whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're supposed to hear what the Spirit says to all the churches, not just ours. And we need to continually listen for the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our churches. You can't just do it once. Jesus also made a promise to each church for those who overcame the worldly ways which tempted them and many had succumbed to. I'm going to go over those promises. It's important to realize that they apply to all churches throughout all time. To the one who is victorious, I, Jesus, will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, just as I have received authority from my Father. 
I will also give that one the morning star. The one who is victorious will be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. These are the things Jesus is promising you and your church. I encourage you, collectively, as a church, to think deeply and pray to hear what Jesus said to the seven churches in Asia 2,000 years ago. You might even study these two chapters together and see what is relevant to your church. Listen earnestly for what Christ is saying to your church today. Christ is always present to guide your church, show you the way, acknowledge what you do well, rebuke whatever needs to be rebuked, and shower your church with spiritual blessings when you overcome the temptations of the world. Why does Christ do this? It's all about love. What would Jesus say to your church? Well, to requote Marcus Watson from last week, Jesus would say, I love you guys. Come and follow me. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm so grateful you're here. If you think of someone who might appreciate this episode, please share it with them. If you're new to the Bible Speaks to You podcast or haven't yet subscribed, I encourage you to go to the website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com, click on the subscribe tab up in the menu bar, fill out your name and email, and you're all set. That way you'll be on my email notification list and you'll never miss an episode. As a special thank you for signing up for the podcast, I've put together a prayer guide called Praying with the Mindset of Jesus. In the first email you get from me, there'll be a link you can click on to download it. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode or anything about the Bible, or if you need a little spiritual support, please reach out to me. Go again to the website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com, and click on the contact tab. Just fill out the form, and I'll be in touch. I would love to hear from you. As always, in the show notes for today's episode, I'll have all the Bible quotations that I had in today's episode. You can find those at thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 107. This is episode 107. I'll also put the link to my interview with Marcus Watson from last week in case you missed that. This week is really an outgrowth of last week's episode. If you'd like to support the Bible Speaks to You podcast financially to help offset the hosting and production expenses each week, just go to the website and scroll all the way to the bottom. In the footer, you'll see a PayPal donate button. I am so grateful for your support. That's it for today. 
Again, thank you for being here. I appreciate you so much. I love hearing from you and finding out what has been helpful to you from the podcast. I'm James Early with the Bible Speaks to You podcast. Have a great week. Take care. We'll see you next time. God bless. God bless.